0: when the lord brought back the exiles of sire we thought we were dreaming and then was our mouth filled with laughter on our tongues songs of joy the lord has done great things for us we are fierce.
1: There are many different orders in the church, many different religious orders. We think about the Franciscans, the Dominicans, the Benedictines, the Augustinians, and then all the brothers and sisters in those religious communities. Many of us were taught by them. In fact, John XXIII was asked one time, how many orders are there in the church? And his answer was, God only knows. And then we think about the other orders in which lay men and women participate. The Order of Malta, Holy Sepulchre, Constantine, the Order of St. George, St. Francis, Michael of the Wing. I mean, there are many other orders in which, down through the many ages, men and women have found their way through the church. Different doors in which everyone enters into the portals of sanctification. Many years ago, I was at St. Matthew's Cathedral, and I was the master of ceremonies there and we had just conducted a rite of investiture for the knights and dames of the equestrian order of the holy sepulchre one of these religious orders or papal orders that i'm referring to and it was a very elaborate ceremony and they're all very much bedecked with capes and gowns and these are the ancestors to the Crusades. These are the people that took care of the shrines during the Crusades and protected pilgrims on their way to the Holy Land. Anyway, there was a nice reception to follow, and I sat down next to a woman who had just been invested, and she was dressed with all sorts of decorations on her left side of her her cape. She had all of these religious orders, all these communities that she was representing Order of Malta and Holy Sepulchre and Constantine Order of St. George and Pius the IX and the list went on and on. In fact, she was a retired three-star general and so she had, in addition to all of that, all her, her medals. And so as she walked, she kind of listed to the port because she was so heavy <laughs> on this side of her body. She sat down and she said to me, Father Watkins, are you in the Order too? And I said, I am. And she said, oh, but I don't see you wearing any decoration. You're certainly not in Holy Sepulcher. Are you in the Order of Malta? I said, no. Are you in Constantine Order of St. George? I said, no. Are you in the Papal Honor of St. Sylvester? I said, no. St. Francis? No. and Lazarus? No. She had all of these, and she kept looking at each one, and she said, I've listed just about all of them. And yet you claim to be a member of the order. So tell me, which order are you?" And I said, Madam, with all respect, I am in the oldest order in the history of the world. She said, what's that? I said, the order of Melchizedek. She said, what's that? (laughs) I said, the priesthood of Jesus Christ. And I pointed to my Roman collar and she said to her husband at the other end of the table, Jack, how do I get into that order? And Jack said, Marianne, what I would do to get you into that order. (laughs) The order of Melchizedek, the priesthood of Jesus Christ. The oldest order in the history of mankind. See, we forget that Jesus Christ was ordained, anointed by the Holy Spirit, to be High Priest. So when we come to Mass, we are participating in the act of the High Priest. Our letter to the Hebrews today, every High Priest is taken from among men. So Jesus was taken from among the Jews as a man and made their representative before God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. So every priest from caveman to the present has done this. But in the Old Testament, the understanding was that, again, following this natural sense of priesthood, we offer sacrifice to God with the hope of securing some benefit, favor, blessing. But it's man's work. The priest represents the people and as their representative offers the sacrifice according to the custom, the ritual, to gain favor, blessing, power for the people, for that particular people, that tribe, that family, that clan, that nation. But it's particular. Now we're so far from this in terms of our post-Christian we don't really understand the nature of sacrifice in religion, and that's why so many people don't understand what religion is. But naturally, from caveman to the present, born out through anthropology, history, literature, art, and architecture, all this is man's attempt to appease or please the gods through some form of cultic sacrifice. So when Jesus comes on the scene then as this high priest, because he's not merely a man, although he is. He represents the Jews because he's taken from among the Jews. And yet he offers the sacrifice not only for them, that particular tribe, family, clan, nation, but does so now as God because he is consubstantial with the Father. He is divine. So we're the only religion the world has ever known in which God becomes man Not man becomes God. This is a God who becomes man through Mary, the Blessed Virgin. And in time, at the age of 33, as man, but with the power and being of God, effects not a particular sacrifice, but a universal sacrifice. Oh, this has never been done. See, the other high priests were always offering for the particular people. Jesus now offers this sacrifice for you and for all. Okay, a universal sacrifice. See, this is very strange to the natural mind because why would you offer sacrifice for other nations, especially your enemies, the ones that are hurting you, the ones that, that take your property, the ones that beat you in battle? No, but Jesus does for you and for all the nations, for Jew and Gentile alike. Now that will get Jesus into trouble, as we know. How can he offer sacrifice for them? And what does he say when, eat my flesh and drink my blood? Who does he think he is? But see, the other element of sacrifice is communing with the flesh and blood of the victim. So here's a high priest who not only offers the sacrifice, but the sacrifice is himself the victim. Which now he offers for us to eat and drink and commune. Again we are so far from this in our understanding of religion. Most people look at Christianity or any religion basically as a kind of codified set of ethics. I think most people even our Anglo-Saxon Puritan culture that we've inherited as Americans would look at Christianity as basically do good, go to heaven, do bad, go to hell. A kind of natural law ethics reducing religion to moral and ethical principles well there's a function of that in religion but no no no. it pales by comparison what religion essentially is is an act of cultic worship that's not my definition that's the definition of religion naturally born out down through the many ages from caveman to the present and eating and drinking of the flesh and blood of the victim this is Classic, among the Aztecs, the Africans, the Chinese, the Japanese. Universally, we look upon cannibalism as strange, but in the mindset of religion, that's quite natural. And what we're doing as Christians is not physically communing with the victim. We do it metaphysically, spiritually, by eating his flesh and drinking his blood. That's why when Jesus says, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood, will not die, but will have life, immortal, life eternal. Now that can only be accomplished by the High Priest, who is God himself, through the man, Jesus, who offers on behalf of all of us men and women the perfect cultic act of sacrifice. There never will be a more perfect act of religion because there's never gonna be a more perfect act of this sacrifice. A perfect high priest who is God and man. And so the Mass then becomes, as we believe, this perpetual mysterious representation, a representation of the whole mystery of that act of Calvary and that act of the Last Supper and that act of the empty tomb. The life, death, and resurrection is all portrayed out in the mystery of the Mass through the order. Of Melchizedek, the oldest order in the history of the world. Jesus is a member of the order. In fact, he perfects the order so that I, as an ordained priest, this is not my Mass. These are my words. I'm not offering the sacrifice as such. Oh no, he offers it through me. These are his words. These are his actions, sacred actions, divine in and through the human God continues to represent the power of his salvation for you and for all so that sins may be forgiven do this in memory of me so every time we memorialize that we remember we represent the full package of the life death and resurrection of the God-man Jesus in the perfect act of sacrifice to atone for sin for all times, for all peoples, for all philosophies, for all religions, time past, time present, time future, living and dead, Mm. can't get better than that. Now, finally, back to Mary Ann, the lady that wore all this stuff. She was so confused. She had, with all respect, looked at decorations and medals and all of the protocol, courtesies and manners, which are all very important in their proper order. But she had made them the substance of her own identity. And so she couldn't see me as a priest. She could only see me in and through the lens of some other community or decoration or she couldn't see me. Bartimaeus, in the Gospel, couldn't see either. He was blind. But he wanted to see. And Jesus gave him that gift. Now, you and I may see with our eyes, but so often, like Marianne, we can be blind. We get caught up with all of the externals. I ask people, why do you come to Mass? They'll say, oh, I just love. The art and architecture. That's why I go to church. Really. It is beautiful. Thank you, God. I go to church because uh, there's great fellowship and hospitality. I feel welcome. That's wonderful. Hmm. I go to church because I love the music. I go to church because I like the homilies. In my 29 years of priesthood, I've never had anyone say to me after Mass, thank you for offering the Mass of Jesus Christ. Now we come here because all those other things, like those decorations are important, smells and bells, but all those are accidents and bearing only upon and pale by comparison to the substance, the trans-substance of this bread and wine. That's what we worship, whom we worship, the body and blood of the God-man, the high priest, who has perfected the order of Melchizedek and himself eternally. That's why we come to Mass, to commune with that victim, and therefore, with the pledge and promise of life eternal, we then have the means of our salvation guaranteed.
0: The Lord has done great things for us. We are filled with joy. They go out, they go out full of tears, bearing seed for the sowing. They come back, they come back with a song Bearing their sheep